Emily's going to read a scripture for us. Isaiah 54, 5 says, The Lord all-powerful, the holy God of Israel, rules all the earth. He is your creator and husband, and he will rescue you. Our prince is coming to rescue us from the troubles of this world. Thank you, Emmy. You're going to help me. We're going to give these out, and I want to read to you something. from. You're each going to get one of these, and I'm going to have you hold this big old pile for a moment. But I know it's hard to think of God as our husband, but we are his princess. We're daughters of the king, but we're also the bride of Christ, which is talked to about so much in the word. And this is a sampler of a book we have coming out in February. I want you to take home with you. And it's like the love letters, but it's written from our prince. It says, my beautiful bride, you are so beautiful to me. I wish for a moment you could see what I see when I look at you. When I gaze at you, I see a treasure ready to be discovered, a princess ready to shine, a bride ready to be loved. When I look at you, I love what I see. If you could gasp, grasp for just a moment how you look in my eyes, you would never feel insecure again. The beauty I created in you is a reflection of me, my love. So never again doubt your eternal beauty is a breath of heaven. Love your adoring prince, Jesus. Psalm 45:11 For your royal husband delights in your beauty honor him for he is your lord It's hard to think of that isn't it to think of us being the bride of Christ I want to read to you one more because this is my very very favorite one I cried even when God gave it to me to write and it's called Dance with me And it says may I invite you to let your heart dance with me today Only I can turn your morning into dancing I can give you the beauty and grace needed for the world to see that you are my beautiful bride. When you dance with me, you will feel yourself move to the beat of my heart. It's time, my bride, to put on your dancing shoes and allow me, your prince, to play a song for your soul that will make your heart beat with mine now and throughout all eternity. Love your true prince charming. Psalm 30, verse 11. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. And this is a sample. There's about eight of those letters in there, and there's eight prayers, and I would like each one of you to have one of these. And so Emily's going to help me, and you can help them to hand these out. And as we talk about being his bride, we're going to, why these are being handed out, um, Oh, that's a great idea. You're so smart. Look at her. I don't need an administrative assistant. None of you need to turn in your applications. I gave birth to one. And Kate, go ahead, Emmy, and start handing those out. Thank you, sweetheart. And then we're going to give these away. How about that? So the princess book and the crown. Is there a birthday today? Or a birthday this weekend? Anybody have their birthday in, in, within a week? One way or another? Okay, none of you were born in August? Next Friday's your birthday. Happy birthday. You must wear this all day on your birthday, anywhere you go. And your friends will tell me if you don't. And I'll come get the crown back and give it to someone else. And we're going to give away preparing him for the other woman, Mother's Guide, how to raise a good husband. Who would like this? There you go. It's yours. Whoever says fastest gets gifts. Someone wanted fit for my king, and we had sold out of that. Okay, right here in the white, you can take that. 
We have order forms on the back table, and you can write on the order forms who you'd like me to sign the books. We didn't expect you all to be so generous and buy everything off our table. Thank you very much. Welcome to California, our first booking. <laughs> grandsons. Anybody have a lot of grandsons? You have a son? She, you have a son on the way? Two others. Oh, this is yours. You sang for us. You have sons. You're birthing sons. Okay, give us some godly men. And then you can take those and you can pass those out while we start. Thank you so much. Well, we're going to talk about leaving a legacy with our life. And if we understand that we're the bride of Christ, we're certainly going to do that. Because we're going to want to get ready for that great and glorious day, aren't we? And in 1 Corinthians 2.9, I love this scripture when I feel like life is overwhelming, especially. God's word says to us, 1 Corinthians 2.9, No eyes have seen. No ears have heard, no mind has imagined the things that I have prepared for those who love me. That's an amazing thought, to think the most beautiful thing we've ever seen cannot compare to what God is preparing for us. Even that heavenly music will even be more when we get to heaven. And you know, being a bride of Christ, being the princess bride, his princess bride, is not a Disney dream, it's reality. It's the truth. It's that our prince is coming to rescue us. There is a great and glorious day coming, his return. He talks about his return through the whole end of the Bible, all through Revelation. He wants us to be ready for his return. And I um, want to read to you something out of one of our books about what that day might feel like if we're not ready or if we are ready. And I'm going to have you close your eyes so you're not distracted by me. And just imagine right now you're getting ready for your glorious wedding day with your Lord. The bride-to-be stood motionless, staring in the mirror of what seemed like an eternity. She had worked hard preparing for this moment. Her hair and her makeup were a work of art. Her dress was stunning. Never before had she felt so beautiful. But something was missing. Where were her guests? Had she not made it clear to everyone that this day was coming, the greatest day the world would ever know? An open guest book sat beside her blank, the gift table empty, except for a stack of unopened letters. The bride fumbled through the pile, and every letter was addressed to her. Each had been sent from the same person, her beloved prince. Of course she recognized his handwriting because she had read his letters long ago. But life had gotten her so busy she hadn't had time to spend with him lately. The bride sifted through the pile looking for something without really knowing what. Tears of joy filled her eyes as she read this familiar praise her prince had written on the envelope. I can't wait to see you face to face, my dearest princess, and I love you. A sense of eagerness overcame her as she began to open the envelope. But just then, she heard the sound of the most beautiful music in the distance she had ever heard before. It was time. The wedding march had begun. She dropped the letter and ran towards the large double doors that opened up into the most gloriously decorated sanctuary she had ever seen in her life. That anointed music filled the empty hall. She began to walk towards her prince, and she wrestled with many unanswered questions as she slowly walked down the aisle. Suddenly, everything around her seemed to blur as she caught sight of him for the first time face to face. There he was, 
tall and gentle on the platform at the end of the aisle, patiently and lovingly waiting for his bride to approach. There were no bridesmaids or groomsmen, only her Prince Jesus, and what appeared to be stacks and stacks of wedding presents. She had heard that he had prepared many gifts for his bride, but this was truly overwhelming. She always knew her emotions would run wild on her wedding day, but nothing had prepared her for the intense flood that filled and overflowed her heart at that moment. As she approached her groom, her prince, she felt her heart racing, and her face became flushed with shame and embarrassment. It had hit her suddenly like a stabbing jolt of reality. He had done everything to prepare for this day. He had done everything to woo me and to bless me and to capture my heart, and now he's here to rescue me. And I've done nothing for him all my life. She felt like she had nothing to offer him, no gifts, no guests. As she reflected back on her life, she realized that she had labored and sweated over all the wrong things for all the wrong reasons. She grabbed the hem of her gown, ready to turn away. But then he extended his hand towards hers, and she met his eyes. There in his eyes, she saw something in his gaze that was more intense than her shame, more powerful than her guilt. That something was greater than anything she had ever felt before. She turned back towards him slowly and continued down the aisle. Then it happened, not all at once, but gradually. As she walked and approached her prince, as she stared into his loving eyes, her shame began to melt away. Now she could see it. The look on his face was one of pure love, the kind of love that says, you are mine and nothing you have said or done can keep us apart, my bride. As she stepped up to stand next to her groom, her Lord. Every negative emotion loosed its grip on her and departed forever. Every pain that had burrowed its way into her soul disappeared once and for all. As they stood there in his presence face to face, he smiled tenderly and gently wiped away the tears from her cheek. He embraced his new bride and he whispered in her ear, you will never cry again, my love. Welcome home. Revelation 19.7, the word of the God says, the wedding day of the lamb is here and his bride is ready. She will be given a wedding dress made of pure and shining linen. And the linen strands are for the good things that God's people has done. There's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven, but receive Christ as our savior. He loves us unconditionally, no strings attached, but wouldn't it be great when we step into eternity, to know that our life did bear fruit, to know that we have brought guests and gifts, and that when we're gone, people will say, my life is different, my life is better, because that princess had life. And that's what we're going to talk about in this next session, is we're going to talk about using our lives to leave a legacy and taking all that he's given us and how to do that. How do we get ready for that great and glorious day of his return? And my prayer is in Ephesians 3.19. And I'm going to have you repeat this prayer. We're going to personalize it. May I experience the love of Christ, though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. May I be filled with the fullness of life and power 
that comes from God. May it be that way in Jesus' name. Did we run out of some of those? Is that what you're coming here to tell me? Um, or you just want to be my mom? No, well, we ran out of them. <laughs> okay. Want to go sit right there in that seat? Okay, I love you. I think there's an evangelist ready to be birthed right there. Well, that is our prayer, that we would experience the love of Christ in such a great way and gain such understanding in this next 35 minutes that God truly, we'd walk out that door and say, I am free, and I am the bride of Christ, and I'm going to prepare for his return. Amen? So we're going to talk about the things we have to get. This is in the CD and DVD series that you all already bought all of. Um, (laughs) But the first thing we have to get is we have to get a love life. Can you look at someone and say, get a love life, girlfriend? (laughs) And I'm going to take my shoes off. I can't take these anymore. I don't know how you do this. I'm going back to the Birkenstocks in Oregon, and I'm growing the hair on my legs. <laughs> oh, that's so much better. Is anybody offended by that? Okay, good. You can handle it. All right. Okay, I got to get used to a whole new mentality. Anything goes, right? <laughs> I like that sometimes. Um, the reason why I know that's the first thing is because Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your entire mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The reason why Jesus said this is the first and the greatest commandment, because the truth is religion doesn't do anything for us, only a relationship with Christ. And anything we do in this world minus love equals nothing. Because if people do not know we have love and we don't love them, do they care what we think? Do they care what we say? Do they care what the word says when we preach at them without love? And Jesus came in love. He came to prove he loved us so many ways, so many unique ways. One of my very favorite stories of Jesus, for those that think that God, that Jesus, the son of God, is not about women, you need to hear this story. And it is when Jesus meets the prostitute and the town wants to stone this woman for sleeping around. And Jesus comes in and says, those of you that have not sinned, you cast the first stone. See, Jesus is so much more about relationship than rules. Any rules that we have in the word of God are for our benefit, not his. It's to protect his daughters, his princesses to guard our minds so we can walk in victory. And, you know, he is saying, if you love me with all your heart and all your might and all your strength, do you remember when you first thought about what it would be like to be in love? Maybe when you were my daughter's age or older or 12 or 13. You didn't have a face. You didn't have a name. You had a hope in your heart. We would think about, I wonder who I'm going to marry and what's it going to feel like and and what are my children going to look like and, you know, all those things where you have this hope, this hope of what it's going to be like. And and you meet people. Is he the one, you know? And that is the kind of hope that we want for the Lord. We don't have a face, but we have an eternal hope in my heart, our heart. And we know we have a real prince that gave his life for us that is returning to get us. And if we can really grasp that. And one of the things that I do every morning, and maybe this will help you, is I get up in the morning and say, I love you, Lord. And I just speak it out. It becomes very real to me. I love you, Lord. What do you have for me today? Secondly, that's why Love Letters was written, which you all bought those too. But the His Princess Love Letters, you know, it's 
that read love letters to get it, that the Bible really is nothing more than his love expressed to us. He's saying, I love you so much. I want to give you wisdom. I want to give you power. I want to give you expression of who I am and what I can do for you. When With Jesus, it's all about us. He would do anything for us. And he wants us to surrender to that love. And sometimes if we've been hurt by a man or hurt by a father, it's really hard to do that. But you know what? He is not man. He is God. And he gave his life for us. I conquered a lot of things without a love life without the Lord. I mean, by the time I was 24, I had lost 60 pounds. I started my own production company. I used to find talent for Star Search and Days of Our Lives and Young and the Restless and went all over the country and did American Idol kind of things for actors. And I um, thought, okay, if I am successful and if I am thin and if I win these pageants and, you know, and I, I looked for love in the wrong places. I, ha- I There's a chapter in my book, for those of you that about life's not a dress rehearsal, don't judge me, but there is a chapter titled in there, A Few Good Men, because I accidentally got engaged to three at the same time. But, um, you know, <laughs> the next one's titled Three Wise Men, because they left me. But anyway, <laughs> and... But, you know, just there's so many women walking around looking for love. And they'll do whatever it takes to feel loved if they only knew they had a Savior that loved them more than anything. But I didn't know the Savior, and I wanted to feel valued and loved, and I didn't have a love life because... And the author of my life wasn't writing my story. And so I was writing my own story, and my story was written where it looked like it was all together. Wow, she got off drugs, she's lost weight, started her own production company, you know... Everything looked like it was all together, but what it was, it was just a book cover that was decorated well, and inside, all the pages were empty because the author wasn't writing my story. The title of every single page was the same, I'll Be Happy When, and maybe you can relate to that. I mean, do you remember when you were in senior in high school? You were going to be happy when you didn't have a curfew. Remember that? Now you would give anything to have someone put you to bed by 9 o'clock. <laughs> you wish you were grounded. Someone said to you, go to your room. Yes. How long do I get to stay? You know, and when you're single, I'll be happy when I have a husband. When you get married, I'll be happy when God changes the husband that I prayed for. You know, and it becomes this cycle where we never actually are settled into the moment of just loving God today. And because I didn't have a love life with the Lord, I developed a severe eating disorder. I traded a drug addiction for an eating disorder. And so I was throwing up my food six to eight times a day. Four years, I was in bondage behind closed doors. It looked like I had it all together on the outside and the inside. I was lonely. I was depressed. And no matter what I bought, no matter how much weight I lost, no matter what I did to my hair, no matter how many people I had around me, there was this emptiness inside of me that could not be conquered. And I checked myself into a hotel room at 24 with a bottle of sleeping pills with all intentions of taking my life. And I walked in that room and screamed at God at the top of my lungs. And all I said was, God, do you exist? If you do, help me. And the word of God says this. If you will seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I was seeking God with all my heart. And God reminded me of the boy that used to sell me drugs every day in junior high, at junior, when I was a junior in high school. Someone invited him to a church camp, and this drug dealer gave his life to Jesus Christ. In our senior year, he became the high school evangelist. And he would constantly say to me our senior year, Sherry Rose, you don't need these drugs. You need Jesus, and I'm praying for you. 
And even though I didn't want to hear about his Jesus, I couldn't deny his changed life. It was so drastic of how much he loved people and how different he was because of Christ being in him that six years later I remembered that changed life when I cried out to God. And that was the first time I ever actually gave a thought to Jesus. And God didn't waste any time at all. Just a few, uh, just the very next morning, actually, just a few hours after I'd fallen asleep, the very next morning, I got a phone call from a friend of mine. And he asked me if I wanted to go to his grandparents' house for dinner. And his grandparents were the missionaries. They were Baptist American missionaries to Albania. And they're the ones that led me to the Lord. And I named my daughter Ellen, Emily after the 70-year-old missionary who led me to Christ. And I will tell you, my life, because of her love life with the Lord, is why I'm standing here before you today. And you can think that you have to have fancy words or you have to have a certain testimony. It's so not true. When you're in love with the Lord, it's contagious. Your face lights up. You look differently. When you're really surrendered to God, you speak it out. You play your praise music. You sing to him. You read your word. You ask God to use you every day. It changes everything. And that's what happened when this missionary had so much love in her heart for God. It made me thirst for what she had. And I began to ask her questions. And she began to tell me about a relationship with Jesus. I said, well, I can't do that because I'm Jewish. But she did not push me. She kept living it in front of me. I ended up staying at their home for three weeks while I was producing a showcase, checked out of my hotel room. So I had three weeks to see what a couple looks like. Not that's perfect, but that's madly in love with the Lord. And their life changed mine forever. And not only did it change mine, it changed my child's life. My son, who is working in full-time ministry. My daughter, who knows Christ my Jewish family who knows Christ. I mean, that one person that was in love with the Lord echoed through who knows how many generations when I'm gone. And that's the same with us. If we really understand, you know, I've had the privilege of what we have when we have Christ. I've had the privilege of knowing some of the richest, most successful, beautiful people in the world personally. And they would trade it all for peace of mind and a love life with God. Just to have one moment where they just feel loved, and accepted, and peaceful. And that's why they're doing, no offense, yoga. I don't know, whatever they do. I mean, I'm not against yoga, but my point is they're doing stuff to try to find that, and it, and they can't, because unless the author of their life is writing their story. And if, if you're here right now, you were put here by divine design, and you may have never, ever heard a weird Christian speaker like me before or thought about a princess but being a God's princess. But if you're here right now, you're here by divine design if you don't know the Lord. And God is, this may be the only time that you'll ever get quiet enough where God will say, I want to have a love life with you. I want to live my life through you. And if you've tried to live your life on your own and you never have, and I'm going to ask for every eye to be closed for one moment because the rest of this message will mean nothing if you don't know Christ. It will be useless to you more than just information. So if you have never received Christ as your Savior and you're saying, you know, I do feel like I've tried to live on my own and it's just not working out so good, I'd love to try God. I'd love to receive Christ. You just raise your hand. I'm going to pray real quickly with you. I'm not going to have you do any somersaults in the aisle, nothing. Just It's just between you and God. Just slip your hand up and I'll just pray real quickly. We'll pray together with you to receive Christ because it's it's your time. It's what I call your crowning moment. I see a hand here. Any other hands? Because really, to assume that we're all saved would be wrong. And if you've just gone to church but never had a personal relationship with Christ, just slip your hand up and I will, we will pray together. 
Let's just pray a group prayer of salvation together. Dear Jesus, I receive you now into my heart. Become Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. From this day forward, I choose to live for you. I pray this prayer by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, the next thing we have to get, we have to get over ourselves. Can you look at someone and say, get over yourself? Now, this would be the best. I, 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 really, <laughs> I really think we should start a get-over-yourself ministry where we call each other every day, good morning, get over yourself. <laughs> it would really help because think of the things that we get hung up on. When will those cabinets ever be done? I hate my hair. This didn't, you know, where we're just so hung up. You know, it's more than about us. But when we don't get over ourselves, and we could all pass the microphone around and tell us something we don't like about ourselves. We can't even say thank you. You know, someone tells you, that was really nice. No, I'm a rotten person. I, I love that outfit. Oh, it's 17 years old. I need new clothes. You know, and we can never just even say thank you. That's all they're really looking for. Let's practice. You look really nice today. That's all anybody really wants. They really don't want the 411 on what you don't like about yourself. And when you walk around and you're not over yourself and you're so hung up on the way your bangs came out or this hair or whatever, it ends up being such a distraction and such a wasted day. And God's saying, I'm in you and my love through you is bigger than anything you could ever put on yourself, decorate yourself with. He doesn't want us to not get over ourselves. You know, I used to have trouble getting over the fact that I didn't have huge long hair. I always wanted big hair, you know, like. Uh, before, I wouldn't even pray with the beautiful gal that was singing. And, you know, because she has big hair. And, you know, I can't be friends with people with big hair. That just doesn't work for me. And and so I always wanted big hair. And I saw this infomercial that I could have pounds of it. So I bought a bunch of it. And I traveled all over the country. I could not wait to go to my next booking. So I put in two pounds of clipped in hair. And it was down to here. I look like Cousin It. I mean, I was so excited. I looked in the room to see if anybody had bigger hair. I had the biggest hair in the room. It was so cool. I was like twisting it around while I was talking the whole time. Uh Uh-huh, and Jesus loves you and my hair. And the woman that came up to introduce me the second time, she hugged me to tell me she was praying for me. She was taller than me, and she unclipped all my hair, but I didn't know it. And so it started falling off in chunks, and women were looking at each other going, what's that? What? And I stopped in the middle, and I said, what? What are you all laughing, looking at? And they all pointed at the same time, and I looked at it, and there was chunks of hair everywhere around me on the stage. And I looked down, saw the hair. I looked up, and I could hear God say, even the numbers of hair on your head I know, and I don't recognize any of those. (laughs) You know, it's amazing the things that we have trouble getting over. I had to get over the fact that I was a dyslexic author that, when publishers started asking me to write books after I got asked to speak and started speaking on the Women of Virtue Tour and all those things, I said, well, I can't spell, I can't punctuate, but sure, I'll write you a book. <laughs> but you know what? God trusted me with dyslexia because he knows that my books are going to be anointed and they're going to be him and not me. Maybe if I was super highly educated, I wouldn't be able to write anything that would change anybody's life, and maybe I would. I don't know. But if I know if it's not anointed by the Lord, I know that it doesn't change anybody's life. Okay, the next thing we have to get is we have to get some faith. Can you look at someone and say, get some faith, girlfriend? Yeah, these are two great things. Get over yourself and get some faith. Because if you can do that, you pretty much are going to make it okay through each day of your life. Hebrews tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. So he's saying, 
if you do not believe me, you cannot please me. That's really what God's saying. Hebrews 11.1 says, what is faith? It's the confident assurance of what we hope for is going to happen. It's the evidence of things we cannot yet see. You know, I have been speaking for now almost, it seems like forever, probably 18, 19 years. And um, I, my husband and I owned a production company. I told you just earlier that we promoted models and actors. And it was also a ministry. So on Friday night, we would set up a dress rehearsal, and we'd bring in a church, and I would share my testimony. And we would actually give people an opportunity to receive Christ. And hundreds of these young kids that were pursuing acting met Christ before they went into Hollywood. And, you know, who are they going to complain to? We own the company. You know, you can meet the agents when you meet the Savior, okay? And so... <laughs> And so we would, we, there was, it was just an amazing ministry. It was called Inspirational Productions. And um, I had just miscarried our third baby. That's why I have 11-year spread. It was not planned. That was just the way it worked out. If I have one next decade, I'll kill myself. But, um, but um, I just miscarried our third baby. I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. I was speaking, and I actually blacked out. My immune system had shut down so bad partially because I was so obsessed with being thin. I drank a lot of Diet Cokes and artificial food to be thin, so I wasn't getting any nourishment either. And I was wondering where God was in this. We love you, God. We're trying to serve you. We're leading people to Christ that are going into Hollywood. Why is all this happening? And in that, we one of the things our production company did is we produced the Mrs. Arizona pageant, the Miss Arizona pageant from Miss USA, and the Miss Teen Arizona pageant. And so I had called the director of the Mrs. America pageant to let her know we couldn't produce the state of Arizona, that I just miscarried our third baby, I had chronic fatigue syndrome, and that um, we were losing our home, we were losing our car, I couldn't go out on the road anymore. I mean, it just seemed like everything was falling apart in our life. And I kept thinking, boy, is this the price you have to pay to serve God? You lose everything, you know? And I was really struggling with my faith and where God was and all that. And when I called the director of the Mrs. America pageant, she said, you have to send me an Arizona representative, and if you don't have the money or the health to produce an Arizona representative, then you just come and stand in for the state. And so I went to my, or I'll sue you. So I went to our church to pray for me not to go to the pageant to get me out of the lawsuit, and our church ended up feeling that I should go, and they paid my entry fee to go to the pageant. I thought the whole church was in the flesh. I was like, so I thought that I was going to Vegas to win souls for Christ, which I got to do. I became the pageant pastor. And I am good at doing hair and makeup. And I started with my roommate and made her much prettier than she could ever be on her own. And when she walked out, everybody was like, could you do my hair and makeup like that? And that was my drawing card to share Christ because no one could understand why the girl that was competing against them was making them prettier than I look. And so I ended up doing so many people's hair and makeup. But while I was doing their hair and makeup, I was able to share Christ with them in my bathroom, in my hotel room, lead many of them to the Lord. There, And it was just, I really felt like, okay, the, one of these girls are going to be Mrs. America, and I've got to lead one of them to the Lord, and I can take the credit the rest of my life. No. And never did I dream, being short and 20 pounds overweight, that I was going to come home with the crown of Mrs. America. That's for sure. And so when we were at the pageant, um, when they announced me to win Mrs. America, I was scared. And I was also trying to figure out how am I going to call all these churches when I'm booked two years out and tell them I was parading around in a beauty pageant when at the time my message was on Barbie bondage. 
And this is not working, God. And the media got a hold of my before picture, 60 pounds overweight on drugs, and it was posted everywhere. Inside Edition came after us. We were on the cover four color of National Enquirer, Ugly Duck. I mean, every non-Christian media attacked us because of my story. What I didn't understand is that's when publishers started coming to me. Can you write books on your life? Can you do this? And I was able to share Christ in, in places that I would have never dreamed of sharing Christ. But I remember my very first booking as a speaker trying to hide the fact that I had won Mrs. America. And I get off the plane to go to Florida, 2,000 women, and the gal picks me up, and she says, where's your crown and banner? I almost wanted to crawl under the seat. What crown and banner? She fills out the newspaper. The one that's in this newspaper. And she had told the whole church that their speaker had won Mrs. America. I said, I'm not wearing a crown and banner to a church. Sorry, no. And she said, yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. We got in a fight in the parking lot. And she said, well, I'll just sit here. I booked you. And I said, you didn't book me as Mrs. America. I don't have to wear that crown. You can't make me. And she said, yes, I can. We'll just sit here until you get it. And so I said, I'll hold it. So we bought the crown. And right before I walked in, she tore it out of my hand and put it on my head. She goes, you will wear that crown. God gave it to you. And so I walk into this room with 2,000 people with this hideous crown on. And I'm like, Lord, this is so bad. And everybody was staring at me. And at that moment, the Lord spoke to me. They don't know it but they're all the princess because I am the king of all kings and they're my daughters. I threw out my notes and gave my first message by the Holy Spirit on being his princess, which now I am his princess ministries, quarter of a million books sold, unstoppable book, 100,000 in Indonesia, as I told you, Spanish, his prince, little princess number 15 on the bestseller list, suicide stop daily. Every day I get an email. I was going to kill myself, and I read one of the love letters. Every day. Pastor's wives that were in depression, they said that pulled them out. I mean... All that. So you know what? He is God and we are not. And here's my take on faith. When God closes a door in your life, get your face out of the way and it wouldn't hurt so bad. <laughs> Let's say this together. He is God. He is God. Now look at your neighbor and go, you are not. <laughs> it's just a good reminder, isn't it? So, you know, when we think that he is closing doors that we don't understand, he's doing something different. How many of you have seen him do a new thing with a door he did close in your face? But you had to have your face in there, didn't you? No, God. Okay, the next thing we have to get is we have to get a prayer life with purpose. John Wesley told us before he died, get on fire for God and people will come watch you burn. I love that because it's true. When you're excited about God, other people get excited about God, right? Don't you love being around people that are excited about God? And, and I'll tell you, um, I love John 14, verse 13, 14. Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son will bring glory to the Father. You may ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. When I gave birth to Jacob, since I got pregnant on a honeymoon, I didn't have a whole lot of time, and I had only gotten saved six months before I married my husband. So I was a fairly new Christian even when I got married. And um, when I gave birth to him, I, at the time, I was speaking also at a lot of these um, high school graduation kind of things for Christian high schools. And I remember thinking, because I was so excited when I got saved, why everybody that was saved wasn't like doing cartwheels every day, that they were so blessed that they were raised in the church and got to go to Sunday school and camp. And I just thought that was like the coolest thing ever. Anybody ever got to have a life like that. And so I would go in and pretty much turn the youth upside down, and they'd be writing letters to their parents. Thank you for raising me. I love you. I mean, yeah, I'm really good at the Jewish guilt. I could get them to really appreciate their pastors and their parents. 
But um, giving birth to a son, I was like, how am I going to have him being raised in a Christian family not be a mediocre Christian? I don't want him to just go to Bible school, sing the songs, and not live the life. So the only thing I could think of is we're told to fight the good fight. We're told that we're warriors. We're not just his princes, but we're his princess warriors. And I thought, looked at the Bible, and all the Old Testament was nothing but wars, wars that were won over and over and over again. And I thought, well, there's something here. We're called to fight. So I told Jacob from the time he was a little boy, and that's where his mighty warrior came from, by the way, that he was a hero for God. He was a warrior. He was called to fight. So he'd be, but I go, the only way that you can get your powers is if you pray. There's no other way to get them. And so he would, you know, we put on the little Bible hero, hero cape, and he'd go, dear Jesus, give me my powers. Amen. <laughs> you know, and then I go, okay, now there's someone to rescue today. Yay, who am I going to rescue? I'm a warrior for Jesus. You know, and so we'd like be at the grocery store. He was looking around. Who needs to be rescued? You know, mom, give me money. They need money. You know, and so he's always thought that way. And isn't it interesting that he spent the last 10 months in the inner city with your gangs here rescuing people? (laughs) And, you know, so just you can tell that when there's that prayer life with purpose, you start to pray that your kids will have passion for Christ, that you start to instrument things. Well, when he was 13, I couldn't get him to put on the Bible cape anymore. It just wasn't that cool. (laughs) And so um, I began to pray that God would reignite his passion for people. And at the time, we were living in Sisters, which if those of you that do know Sisters, not only is there not a mall there, there's not a stoplight there. There's not even a McDonald's there until about two months ago. Like literally nothing is in Sisters but quilting and mountains. But, um, and so, but, you know, and even though I shop at secondhand stores, I'm the secondhand store princess, I like to go to the mall because it's pretty. And it feels like my mothership. And, you know, are, is there anybody in here? <laughs> is there anyone in here that shops at secondhand stores besides me? Okay. I have a scripture for you. Here's your new deal. You stand in front of the secondhand store and you pray this. The Bible says the wealth of the wicked are stored up for the righteous. Let the wicked drop off their designer clothes today in my size. Amen. It works every time. I got this dress for $12 at Ross. I mean, I know it's not secondhand, but it's close enough. But it's amazing if you pray. I mean, I don't know if someone wicked made this, but <laughs> but we were. But Jacob sells these little bookmarks, which you forgot your bookmarks, by the way. But anyway, he sells these bookmarks. And um, the women have always been generous to buy his little bookmarks. And so he saved his money well at 13, spent mine, saved his. And we were driving over to Portland to go shopping in a real mall in winter, about three and a half hours. I had prayed, God, on this Christmas, just do something special that Jacob would just really get a new passion for you. We walk into the mall, and there was a girl curled up on a ball. She was hurting. She was shaking on a bench. And I said, Jake, I need to go speak with her. And he goes, I know, Mom. You go save the world. Can I go to the computer store? Oh, sure, sensitive boy. Do that without guilt. And... And... So I walked up to the girl, and I said, can I have the privilege of praying for you? And she said, whatever. And I said, I'm sorry, whatever. I'm not leaving until I get to pray for you, so I'll just wait here until you're ready. And we just stared each other down. She knew I wasn't going away, so she goes, go ahead. So I did. I just said, Jesus, I don't know where this girl's been, but you do. Please renew her hope. Please prove to her that you're alive and well in her life. Do something today, God. She began to pray, I mean, cry uncontrollably and her boyfriend came up and Jacob came out to see who I was making cry in the mall again and <laughs> and um, 
When Emmy was four, she used to say, Mom, how come you make everybody cry when we go to Costco? And go, no, it's not me, honey, I promise. <laughs> I'm not really mean. Um, and the gal and her boyfriend began to tell us how they'd gotten pregnant and they didn't want to have an abortion, but their parents wanted them to. And since they refused, they kicked them out of the house and made them stay pregnant on the streets. And they had just given birth to their baby, and they wanted to keep their baby so bad, but because they were homeless, they unselfishly gave that baby up for adoption. So they were grieving a lot. And uh, Jacob said to me, Mom, we need to go shopping right now. And I said, Jake, did you hear what they said? He goes, yes, Mom, our divine appointment to help someone. And, and he took the boy, and he spent all the money that he had won, that he had won, that he had gotten that year from the ladies. He bought him a jacket and sleeping bag and backpack and jeans and spent about three hours with this boy. And I did the same with the girl, and, you know, we were picking out her clothes. And when she was trying on her jackets, you know, I was like, no, that's not your color. Because, you know, when you're homeless, you care what color you're in. And, um... <laughs> And, and, she, and she said to me, you know what? No one's ever cared what color I wear before. Thank you so much. And I thought about Jesus saying to us, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it as unto me. Because sometimes we give our leftovers instead of giving our best. And it seems like that should be reversed. We should keep our leftovers and give our best. And um, we got to lead them to Christ. And we were, and we, that particular weekend the women were like you buying everything off our table so we had 1200 extra dollars that we didn't need for ministry bills and so we were able to cut them a check for their first month's apartment to get them off the streets and when i went home with my 13 year old son he said to me mom this is the best christmas i have ever had and i remember at that moment going he is never going to remember a single thing i bought him when he moves out he is never going to forget when his life was a gift to someone else if we wake up every morning, and I'm just going to do the math for you real quick. hundred of us in this room, let's just do the math. Every morning we wake up and we say, Lord, let me do something to touch someone's life today just for 10 minutes. And we only gave God 10 minutes. I don't care if it's a word of encouragement to the person that's having a hard time that's waiting on your table that didn't do a good job for you. I don't care if it's running an errand for someone that you're running errands anyway. Praying for someone on the phone, texting someone an encouraging word. Something every day, 365 days, that is 3,650 deposits for Christ made in to Southern California times whatever amount of years God gives us for 10 minutes a day. It's an amazing perspective, isn't it? If every morning we got up and say, Lord, I want you to use me today to touch someone's life. I pray it in Jesus' name. It changes everything. When we do it. Two more things. The next thing is we want to get available. We have um, a pretty serious issue in our country. And all the disorders have names. We have TBD, too busy disorder. And if you really look at the way most women run around, even with five children, somehow they're volunteering at 17 things. It's just this insanity. And what I have found is if the devil can't make us bad, his next trick is to make us busy. Because if he can make us busy, he can make us crazy. And if he can make us crazy, then we don't think clear. And then we don't make good choices. And then there's no relationship going. And then there's no time to pray. And there's no time to play. And there's no time to rest. And there's no time to do anything. Better that we would do less and do it good and have it count than all this fast-paced food, fast-paced life. It's not God's will. And when none of us feel good about it, and that's why we're walking around, you know, we have... Like Ellen, or uh, I heard a comedian say that there's a coffee shop like every five feet, you know, to keep up with our crazy life. And, you know, it's just, 
it's wrong and it doesn't feel good. And none of us feel good when we're so overcommitted that we cannot rest or think or make any wise choices. And we even sometimes don't mean to, but we do it to our own children. Let's sign them up for 17 activities instead of one or two. Then they're used to that pace, so they go into a marriage, and then they don't pour into their own families because they don't know how to be still. And so we need to stop that insanity. If we're going to be ready for the Lord's return, we need to be able to hear from the Lord. We need to have time to pray. We need to be rested up so when we do go out, we're more effective. And so um, I was thinking about, I was on this plane once. I'm on a plane often, and I used to be terribly afraid of flying until I was in terrible turbulence, and I realized at that moment, I'm not afraid of flying. I'm afraid of crashing. So i got to clarify that in my own head. But, um, and so I was on this one particular plane where the pilot made an announcement. He said, we're not going to be able to land in our destined city because one of our passengers has had a heart attack. We need to stop and uh, land by the nearest hospital in order to save his life. And the man that was next to me actually looked at his watch and said, I don't have time for someone to die. I have a meeting to be to. And I I was next to him, and I was reading my Bible, and I was praying for permission to beat his face off with it. (laughs) And at that moment, God spoke to me and goes, you're no different than he is. And the Lord showed me, you're so busy every day that you don't have a message. You don't have time to give someone a message that won't save their life. And encourage them. And I felt so convicted how God used that moment to speak to me personally. And so here's what you're going to ask yourself. Here's the two things. And I know a lot of you are already going through the Bible study. And when you go in your small groups in the study I did, you will spend one week writing out your ideal schedule that would be best for you and what God would have for you and what you do. And then start to edit those things. But here's the most important question first. Where am I irreplaceable? Those are the first things that go on your calendar. Before you do anything else, you know, if you are a mom still, then there's where it is. If your marriage is struggling, then you need to give it attention. If your health is struggling, then that's where your attention needs to be. And the second is, where am I most effective? If I was planning this event, you'd all be in 17 locations and no one would have got lunch. I'm most effective here. Everybody has their gift, as we talked about, in freedom, operating in your appointed position. So where am I irreplaceable? Where am I most effective? Those are what should be on your calendar, those things. Because really, it's true. If the devil can't make us bad, his next trick really is to make us busy. He'll steal every day from us. And there's nothing worse than not knowing where you're going and killing yourself to get there. Where you're exhausted all the time, but you don't know why. And you don't have purpose. And you just have this busy craziness with no boundaries. It's okay to say no. You know, when I wrote my first bestseller, which was for eating disorders, I received, it was overwhelming because hundreds of thousands of books sold of how many people wanted me to counsel their daughters with eating disorders. And I realized by the wisdom of a very godly woman, I'm not a counselor. First of all, I could not stop talking long enough to hear what's on your heart anyway. Um... But it's, it's not my gift, and it's not where I'm gifted. I, and, and if I were to stay up every night counseling all the people that call me and email me, my daughter wouldn't have a mom. My son probably wouldn't be serving the Lord because he'd say, I don't want to serve a God that took my mom. And this is the problem is somehow we think we're the Savior of the world. We're not. We all have a, an appointed position. And according to Romans twelve six, there's just one appointed position, not all. You can't not have all the gifts. Sorry. And share them. And... So I have learned, and uh, you know, I return crisis emails 
that especially suicide emails and depression. I answer my personal emails because that's something I can do while Emily's at school. I don't have to be taking away from my family. But at 3 o'clock, I'm done. And everything will have to wait till the next day. And, and I tell people, I'll give you a free book, I'll give you a free tape, and I'll give you the name of 20 counselors that do stop talking long enough to hear what you have to say. But I am not a counselor. I don't have all the answers. I just write the Word of God. The, you know, I, I know that. And so I am very honest about that. And maybe there's things in your life right now where you're thinking, yeah, there's some stuff that I'm doing that I'm, I'm not, I should not be doing. And things will change with the seasons of your life, too. You know, you may be in a season to take care of an elderly parent. You may be in a season where it's your last year with your boy or girl, and they're going to be going off to college. A new baby, I don't know, but our lives change with seasons, so we're going to have to keep reevaluating where am I now that I am most effective and irreplaceable. And besides, being most effective is the best place to be anyway, because then you're, you're going to be walking in peace because you're walking in what you're called to do. Okay, last thing, closing up. We need to get an eternal view. That's our last get. 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we do not look at the troubles we see right now, but rather we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. Isn't that great to know that? (laughs) It's like a bad vacation. If you know you can get home to your comfy bed, you can make it through the bad vacation. And, you know, and sometimes life feels like a bad vacation. (laughs) Other times it doesn't. But, you know, if we have an eternal view, if we're living for eternity, we're going to make different choices. If when I, when trial hits me, if I'm living for, okay, how I react to this is going to impact the way my son reacts to this when I'm gone and he's a grown-up and how my daughter reacts to this when life hits her, and my mind's thinking about eternity, I'm going to react a lot differently than if I react off how I'm feeling at that moment. Now, how I'm feeling... And when I'm feeling something, anger or out of control, I just tell God about it. Yeah, I don't even pretend that I can handle it. But if we're living for eternity, we're going to live differently every day. What if this was my last day? Okay, what should I do today that needs to be made right? You'll be thinking differently because it's not forever here on earth. What's forever is after here. And I had the privilege of knowing a princess named Rachel who was 13 when she was diagnosed with leukemia. And she was given eight weeks to live. And when I called to pray with her, to my surprise, here was her response. Sherry, will you pray that I can win my entire junior high school to Christ before I die if God doesn't heal me? That was her prayer. Because she had an eternal view. In other words, she was saying to Satan, you can take me out, but neener, 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 I'm taking hundreds with me. And, you know, and because she knew that she, to die is gain. And, you know, and, but God gave her three years. And so she went from junior high to high school with an eternal view of why she was there, prayed up and ready to be used by God. Well, you know as well as I do, junior high and high school, rumors spread extremely quickly. So you can imagine that the whole high school knew that that little girl had cancer, but she was loving on people and praying with people and bringing people lunches and caring about them. And they were going, wait, she's dying, but she cares about me. That was her ministry, was her cancer. And on her 16th birthday, I remember she just looked up at us and took a deep breath. She goes, I'm ready to go home now. I finished what I'm here on earth to do. And she wrote a letter to her high school, and she went and visited her principal a few days before she passed away. In West Phoenix, which is one of the worst gang and drug problems in America, 
And she said, um, when I die, will you bust the whole high school to my funeral? And she had favor because she loved people, and they bust the entire high school. 18, 20 buses came to her funeral. I had the privilege of attending that funeral, and my life has never been the same because of this little girl with cancer with an eternal view. And I'll never forget seeing hundreds of kids, all nationalities, gang members, people stoned, stoned out of their mind, getting off the bus, coming in this huge church. And there was a choir in the corner, and they were singing, Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Because death isn't the end for Christians. It's the graduation. It's the be- This is hard. That's not. And so they were celebrating her life. And the pastor got up and read her letter, and it just said, Dear friends and classmates, do not cry for me today. For I'm in a place where there's no more sickness, no more death, and no more tears. And my Savior, Jesus Christ, made the way for you to get there. And the pastor said, how many of you want to know that uh, you're going to go into heaven when you die? And hundreds and hundreds of kids came forward and gave their life to Jesus Christ. Because one little girl was in love with Jesus and had a prayer life with purpose, was available to him. This little girl has touched more lives than probably all of us combined in this room. And I share this story every time I speak because her life was so effective and powerful that it makes me look at my own life every time I share it. What am I doing today? And when it's all said and done, we want to live for eternity. And we want to ask ourselves, this is a hard question. What will I be remembered for when I'm gone? What is my mission statement? How do others feel about themselves when they spend time with me? Am I an adder? or a subtractor to their lives? Am I a burden or a blessing? Do I give grace or do I give guilt? Because we have each day to make those choices. Will I give grace? Will I give guilt? Will I be an adder or a subtractor? Will I pour into or withdraw? And you know, if every day we live for eternity... Our lives are going to matter. We're not going to be perfect. We're always going to blow it. We're always going to fall down. But God will always pick us back up. But if our hearts are for God and for others, that legacy is going to happen. And if there's like things you need to make right, write those people or call those people and make it right. Don't even waste another day because then you'll set yourself free and them as well. Let's pray. God, we just love knowing that we're the bride of Christ a princess of the king of kings, the daughter of the king. And Lord, you know we're not perfect, and you know that we don't always live for you by any means. I thank you that you have visited us and that you have reminded us of our royal position. Thank you that you have reminded us to take it. Thank you that all guilt is gone and covered in your blood. I pray from this day forward that we would live for eternity that we would live anticipating your return, that we would live as your bride-to-be, and that when people see us, they would say, there's someone that loves Jesus with all their heart. We give you permission to use our lives, to use our tears, to use our pain, to use our mistakes, to use our talents, to use it all. I just pray in Jesus' name that you would have your way, God, in our lives. Amen. I'm going to ask my son to come up and close us in prayer because it's always nice to have a man of God to pray over us. And he's a prayer warrior. And um, even when he was in the inner city, he would, he would text me prayers over you all before I would speak. 
And that just meant so much to me. And I've just got him back in the last three weeks. So as you can imagine, I'm very, very happy <laughs> to be spending time with him. And I'm going to have uh, him pray over us and close us in prayer. And uh, I will be at the back table if you want to place orders. We have order forms now. And thank you, Emmy, for being here. And you can stand up for with Jake while he just prays over us, okay? Should I take off my shoes? This holy ground. <laughs> Oh, I love it here, I know. Well, where I was living, you shouldn't take off your shoes. <laughs> um, let's pray. Father God, we thank you just for how good you are, God, and just for blessing us so much, Jesus, and just um, just for wanting a relationship with us and for, for wanting to, to draw closer to us every day and just for um, loving us through all of our, our sin, God, and all of our, uh, all of our faults. And I thank you that you've redeemed us and that we are a new creation in you and that uh, we can go on to bigger and better things. And I pray that you will uh, just help us to live the fulfilled life, God, that you've called us to, that um, we won't hold anything back from you, God. And I just thank you that you're going to continue to bless us. And uh, I just pray for these wonderful ladies right now, God, that um, you'll just strengthen them and encourage them, God, and that uh, you'll just be with them throughout every day and that they'll know that they are loved by you and cherished by you no matter what happens, and that they'll know that you are in control and that you've got their back no matter what. In your name, amen.